Hello, I'm James Fitzsimons and welcome to The Career Scoop, a podcast all about career progression, advice and experiences aimed at assisting those who are in career transition. Today, my guest is director of Roadman and former Irish pro cyclist, Anthony Walsh. Anthony began his career in the field of law, having trained as a barrister at the Honourable Society of King's Inns. After completing his training, however, Anthony decided to transition into full-time cycling. In 2013, Anthony founded his company, Roadman, which is now an internationally recognized coaching company, which helps time-crunched athletes use cycling as a tool to improve health, happiness, and longevity. Anthony, I'm delighted to welcome you to the show. Thank you very much, James. That was a mouthful of an intro. Well, I, I, I got it right. Normally, I have to do the number of times. Uh, uh, but the most important thing to share, share with our, our, our listeners, we are both Northsiders. We are both Northsiders, and I'm, I haven't sold out. I'm still on the Northside. Well, you are a massive sellout and a shame to the Northside community living out on the Southside. Well, I didn't expect to get that, but I should have. I should have expected that uh, uh, that that retort there. However, I'm over here as a spy, and, <laughs> uh, and and I'm true to the brand. I still wear white socks uh, when, when I'm out, which which north on the south side really doesn't go down doesn't down very well. Uh, very good, as long as you don't start pronouncing th and you still call your friends with o at the end, demo deco. <laughs> oh, I do that. I do that. You do that. So listen, I mean, let's get to it. You have a really interesting bio. Pro cycling, tell me about that, the journey to it, the, the journey after it, and now. I suppose I kind of, my journey into pro cycling is probably atypical of a pro cyclist. I was a soccer player, and there's actually a, a scene out of Happy Gilmore where Happy Gilmore always wants to be that hockey player, and he ends up being a golfer, and he's signing on for a golf tournament saying, hey, I'm a hockey player, but I'm playing golf for today. I kind of felt like that at the start with cycling, where I was always self-identified as a soccer player i played you know won all ireland with bohemians won super league with them you know firmly had my eyes set on a career in soccer all the way up until university and then soccer's a funny sport because at the age of 18 if you haven't made a pro it's almost time to retire so you don't get many good soccer players playing past that at an amateur level because you know, it's crazy to think your your life in that sport is over at such a young age if you don't make the transition. So I stepped away from soccer around university time and kind of just picked up cycling to initially to rehab a couple of injuries and just stay active and get that endorphin release that we all love from sport. And it just it went from there where I just graduated and got a little bit more serious year after year. And, you know, I'd probably spent more years in third level education than anyone showed seven years between my undergrad master's in law and then the professional qualification. So I was really like Benjamin Button. I was just fighting this need to grow up. So I was trying to perpetually stay in college. And towards the end of college, I actually, the cycling, what started out quite recreationally, it morphed into racing, which had morphed into international competition. And I was competing now against professional riders and amateur riders on a weekly basis. And I was just getting better and better and better until the point where I graduated from King's Inn. And at the same time, I was representing Ireland. I was doing some pro amateur races. And I got an opportunity to go and race for France in France, uh, a team called Super U, Apoche Super U, in a little town outside La Rochelle called Pont. I, I know you're a native French speaker and it took me a long time to learn you don't pronounce the S's there. 
Yeah, David. And tell me, because Ron Nagara is there now coaching La Rochelle rugby. Yeah, it actually, that's it was probably 20, 30 kilometers from where I was staying. And But this was back before, you know, I'm aging myself here, uh, mid 30s. But uh, there was no, there's been massive technological advancement since then. I didn't have an iPhone then. They were out, but I couldn't afford one. And so there was no maps on your phone. You take it for granted when you go abroad now, and especially when you're on your bike, that you have a Garmin with maps, you have a phone in your pocket with maps. But like I remember in broken French trying to find my way home to this town and speaking and not pronouncing the S's, I remember one day like just broken on the road and I was trying to say, like, where is Pon? Like, um, but I thought it was Pons. So I was like, Où est la Pons? <laughs> and the French are looking at me like, ah, Pons? Ugh. And then they're like, oh, Pon. I was like, I fucking said pawn. So, but I mean, like you arrive over from Ireland into a whole different world. So tell me about that and what, what, when did you realize what it was really like to be a, 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 pro, a pro cyclist? You know, I, I really had a, a nice experience in France and I can contrast the two different ways of getting into pro cycling with my housemate I lived with because my housemate was an Irish guy also from Mead, a very good friend of mine, Aaron Bugle. And he, but he dropped out of school to pursue a career as a professional cyclist. So he dropped out of school, obviously hadn't gone to university, but I'd finished and had my Kings in professional qualification under my belt at this stage. So we were both on the same journey, trying to make it as world tour, which is a top ranked professional riders and I felt like I had a safety net underneath me so I was able to enjoy the experience a lot more every race I'd go into if I had a bad race I could still say you know what worst comes to worst here I can go back to Ireland I can live in my parents house for a couple of years and I can start practicing the law and build a career and a life for myself but he was literally fighting and scrapping for his life for his dinner he was you know thinking if I go back home I'm going to have to get a job as an apprentice or a laborer on a building site. His dad was in construction and it put a lot more pressure on every single performance. And I know, you know, they say pressure makes diamonds, but also pressure takes the enjoyment out of it because I find with a lot of stuff, you can get so wrapped up in the goal of trying to become a professional that you forget to enjoy the journey along the way. And it's it's a special journey getting to live in a foreign country and race your bike and get paid a bit modestly for that. But when you have that underlying pressure, it really takes the fun out of it. And I felt like I had a really nice French experience because of that safety net. When you talk to a lot of Irish riders, they'll speak about how hard France is, no money, no hard racing week after week, the pressure of trying to step up to the next level. But it wasn't my experience at all. I loved it out there. That's great. And tell me about the kind of the athletic competition of it. So that's what it's about, to, to get up the levels. And so is it, is it, is it DNA? Is it? your body, your ability to process oxygen, your mentals. I mean, wh- where did you, how did you get it? You know, when you got into it, you got there, what was the regime like? And then when did you realize I've hit the ceiling? Uh, you know what? There's a, there's a good book uh, and there's a lot of debate about this sort of nature versus nurture. Is it something, is athletic talent or is musical talent or any of these things, are they, God-given, are they inherited from your parents or are they acquired? And there's a book called Bounce, uh, Matthew Saeed, I think is the author's name. And Matthew Saeed writes 
beautifully about the idea of purposeful practice. And if you purposefully practice anything for 10,000 hours, he advocates that you can get to a world-class level with 10,000 hours of practice. Now, 10,000 hours is a lot of hours. You're looking at probably eight to 10 years for anyone going full-time at a sport. But there's a, and there is a lot of critics of his work that feel like, you know, there's a, he diminishes the role of genes and inherited talent in that. But I've always felt that hard work will get you a long, long way. And when we look at the very top echelons of the sport, when you see, you know, Tour de France has been lost and won by five, 10 seconds. Yeah, I feel there's talent there. I feel that's inherited, that's splitting the difference. But I feel like this idea of I can only get so far because I have poor talents or I'm big boned or I'm there. A lot of time they're just cop outs. Hard work gets you a long, long way. And for me in cycling, I never felt like I was talented. I felt like I worked harder than everyone else at every step of the way. Like a peer comparison is dangerous in a lot of ways, but I always like to use peer, peer comparison as a yardstick to measure my work effort. So even as an amateur coming up, if guys were riding 10 hours a week, I like to try and ride 20 hours a week. Then when I got to full-time level, when guys were riding 20 hours a week, I like to ride 30 plus hours a week. And hard work just took me so, so far in sports. And I felt the same in law. I never felt like I was particularly bright, but I felt like I put in long, hard hours when I had to, and I figured out kind of smart solutions to it. And that definitely took me a long way over there. So, you know, we can nerd out on oxygen transport capabilities and all that stuff, but I actually, I don't feel it was that relevant. I feel it was more roll up the sleeves. So for that young graduate or someone leaving school now who's in COVID, is feeling flat, uh, what do I do with my life? Where do I go? using what you talked about there of, of I suppose it's a work ethic. That's an old fashioned word, work ethic, which uh, it's a dated word and it means many things to many people. But how would you put a spin? How would you, what would you say to them? How do they get themselves moving one step at a time, two steps, just, just moving, getting themselves forward and maybe link it into obviously some of the work you do now with your clients. Do you know, there's a beautiful French word and I know you're a French speaker. I'm not even sure if you'll know it because it's like a colloquial one that's used just within cycling. It's called le métier. Have you heard this word? The profession. Yeah. Yeah. The, so the job, the life. Yeah. So we used the, the my understanding of it was like the profession, but also the process that goes into crafting that profession, the dedication and the application to your craft and, so you would often get from your director four hours into a six-hour ride and it's pouring rain and you want to go home and you'd be out the car window just like, le métier, le métier, le métier. Just hard work, dedication. This is what it's about. There's a process to get there. And often people don't see the process. They only see the finished product. And we see this in everything with you know entrepreneurs who are lucky enough to go on and sell. I know you've had a, sold a couple of companies and people see the event at the end of selling the company, but they don't see the process that goes into that. And for me, that's le métier. So, you know, when if you're just finishing school, it's such an amazing time. I'd love to, you know, get in the old Doc Brown time machine and get back to just finishing school because you can literally do anything. You can put your mind and say, I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to be an academic. I'm going to be a musician. And with no prior talent, no prior experience, if you just take this idea of le métier, I think you can go very, very far in anything you choose to put your head to, regardless of, you know, leaving cert points, because it's just, it's such a poor way to measure the different ways people are smart. And would you think now, being a little bit older, uh, that companies and maybe 
workplaces or life are looking upon those old old measuring tools which are outdated we, we both agree in that and looking at that human in front of them you know who you front who fronts up yeah i suppose uh, it's still i don't think the idea of leaving certain traditional education i know it's very fashionable to hate on them at the moment but until we have a better system for filtering, it still shows, you know, an ability to put your head down and focus on a task, even if that task isn't maybe relevant further down the road. I know a lot of people are like, oh, maths, what am I ever going to use that for? Or Irish, what am I ever going to use that for? But, you know, you've run businesses and, you know, you're looking for talents that can take a problem work independently, solve a problem and get a result. And in a lot of ways, I have a friend actually who he was seven years, it took him to finish his PhD. And he don't, it's funny because he studied Tudor Mary's reign in Ireland and Tudor Mary, this period he studied was only five years long and it took him seven years to study it. So he actually could have lived the period and had two years and change. But if you rang me up tomorrow and you're like, you know what, I'm looking for somebody who can take a complex problem, show single focus on this complex problem for a seven-year period, I'm like, I have just the man for you. He is single focused and dogged and won't quit until he's finished this problem. I think that's still a valuable skill. What about confidence that underpins that? That ability to, whether people are afraid of being seen falling down? Because going back to cycling, there's no hiding. You know, you're, you either finish the race or don't, or you play wherever you place. Yeah, and it's. Uh, I think it's something that I, I've never would have classed myself as someone confident, but I almost have two tiers of people in my life. I've a close circle of friends and family members, and I massively care what they think about. And then I have outside that circle, and we all have this public versus private life, but I think that's been accentuated with social media, and I just absolutely do not care what, they think this wider group. And I think that helps you. It's definitely helped me operate from a purer place a lot. And I host a podcast, a cycling podcast, a roadman cycling podcast at the moment. And, you know, often you're never going to please everyone. I cover a lot of topics that are quite on the edge, controversial, whether it's transgenders in sport or doping. And I try not to sit on the fence. I try to have an opinion, but you're always going to offend somebody and you're always going to have a legal letter rolling in for a cease and desist. And the thing is, as long as you're true to your values on it, I think it's fine to block out that noise around you and think, you know what, I have my sort of core value system and as long as I'm acting and the COVID restrictions have been a great example for me because even at times your own moral compass won't line up with what the legal compass is and for me at times during the COVID you know 99.9% of the time my moral compass will line up with the legal compass but I felt just some of the restrictions around COVID were just not healthy and I was like my moral compass is what I use that as the you know higher order of precedence than the legal compass. So you know I was out riding my bike in the Wicklow Mountains on my own, even though it was a five-kilometer restrictions. And you know I'm living in Clontarf, which is if I had to stay within five kilometers, it was very crowded beaches, and I could go up to the Wicklow Mountains on my own and not see someone for hours. I felt it was safer. I felt it was better for my mental health, and I made that judgment call. And I think having that narrow group of people and having your own sort of moral set of guidelines is very, very helpful. And that 
builds that to circle it back to your confidence question. I think that's what gives you the confidence to operate because decisions become binary. Is this in line with my set of values, my moral compass, or isn't it? How do you how do you know what your moral compass is? Or how does a younger person find their moral compass? I suppose it's it's largely flowing through experiences. You know, you grew up in North Dublin, and uh, you know, I remember we the social in St Paul's. It was our teenage disco, and immediately some things the peers were doing just didn't sit. I didn't enjoy them. It was you know drinking cans in the park, and everyone was doing it, but it just never appealed to me. And I would I would do it to fit in with the gang for a period, but you know, as I took some time and reflected back on it, I go, you know what. I'm not enjoying that. That's not bringing me happiness. I preferred being on the seafront playing football. So you start just picking your way through and aligning yourself. I think that old saying is it where you two or three people closest to you have such a huge impact on your life. I think you find your your tribe as you sort of navigate through life. And I think don't be afraid to be ruthless and cut out those people in your life that are you know, aren't aligned with your values or, you know, if it's, whether it's, you know, small petty criminality or anti-social behavior, you know, the North Dublin joke, we're always, Ireland's quite unique because geographically, you know, Clontarf's a lovely area, but we're four or five K from being very, very working class areas. And so petty criminality and that sort of stuff is never far from when you're growing up at 15, 16 years old. But I think be rootless and say, that's not bringing me happiness. This group of people isn't bringing me happiness. This tribe over here is more aligned with my values. And the internet's been great for that as well. And, you know, before, if you were into collecting, I don't know, top trumps, drag, dragons and dungeons, you might have one guy in the school who was into it and you'd go and hang out in the corner with him. But with the internet, you can find that one guy in the corner is now a, a big thriving community and you can really find, you know, the tribe that has your vibe. So I suppose what, what you're sharing is that just be yourself. And most of us know when we do wrong or we do kind of stuff that maybe not anti-social to that extent, but maybe it's not right for, for, for society or the people we're mixing with. I think most of us probably know that. And you, you're, you're, I, I, it resonates with what you're talking about. I, I was actually out in host the weekend and I was surrounded by hundreds of people. However, back in my own my own house, I might be able to have two people into the garden. It just didn't. It didn't wash. So I would like to be trusted that I have a have a set of values that I'm not going to mess around and and respect. Obviously, COVID is not a nice thing for people to get, and people die from it. And maybe our our, our government now might needs to trust us now because we can't keep going back to this lockdown. Lockdown. It's it's a binary thing that's proven necessarily not to work. That's no. That's well, some people's fault, uh, but it hasn't been it hasn't been actually severe enough to make that work. I think you're you're from a legal family. I think interest in uh, I remember in law school studying this, and it's this area of jurisprudence around the Nuremberg trials where they brought in. Uh, it's it's a fascinating area for anyone to dip their toe into law and read about. They brought in you know colonels, generals that were Nazis and that had gassed thousands of Jews or overseen orders to gas thousands of Jews. And they brought them in and they said, look, you're charged with killing hundreds and thousands of Jewish people in gas chambers. And they said, but we were just following the laws. How can it be a crime if we were just following the laws? So here you have this conflict of what's moral 
killing somebody isn't moral and what's legal. They're following German law that you have to kill Jews. And I think that's the first time I came to my mind saying, these don't always have to be the same thing. And you know, to summarize the ruling in that, it was there is a law that's above the law and that's the God-given law. And even if you're not in a religious sense, it's your own sense of what's right and wrong. And that's, you know, Trump's legislation, so to speak, a lot of times. You know, no, it's interesting in, in that. But going back to to your 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 job now, your profession now, it, t- tell us what you do. Obviously, within within Roadman, I know you work with lots of people. Um, I, I'm curious. I haven't had the pleasure of it. I've heard a, a, a mutual friend of ours is, uh, has, and he speaks very highly of it. Um, so tell us what it's about. So when I was getting started in cycling, I was kind of looking for uh, you know. It, I was looking for the equivalent of your leaving certain nutshells, your summary books to get you there a little bit faster. So I sought out, you know, mentors who were ahead of me in the journey. And one of them was a professional cyclist rode with Sky, Michael Barry, a good friend of mine now. And he said to me, look, I've made a lot of these mistakes. You don't need to make these mistakes again. This is an easier path to take. Don't do these sessions, rest on these days, add in this strength training, do these type of workouts don't do this stuff because I've experimented with this and it didn't work. So that short circuit of my progression or shortcut my progression quite a lot. And then I had friends who started a few years behind me and I was able to pass on this advice to them and say, look, I've actually tried this and with a 99% certainty, this is what's going to happen to you and it's going to be a waste of your time. So you can spend the next four or five years trying things and running down dark alleys, or I can kind of show you my playbook for getting there a little bit faster. And so I mentored a few of my friends that were trying to become professional cyclists and helped them out and showed them the sessions to do, when to recover, strategies around food, eating, lifestyle. And it went brilliant for them. And this was a time where I always say the roadman was born of necessity. I didn't know anyone who was an entrepreneur. Business has kind of become cool in the last few years. It wasn't cool then. Like if you were a businessman, like early 2000, you were wearing a suit, you were a briefcase, you weren't sporting tattoos and, you know, trading cryptocurrency. It was a completely different thing. So the idea of being an entrepreneur or a businessman wasn't something that I was, you know, chasing too hard, but it was born out of necessity because I'm from a middle-class enough family. And while I had an amazing upbringing, my parents didn't have the money to say to me, you know, here's your King's intuition covered. I had law school loans and they were all deferred when I decided to go away professional cycling. And my salary was quite poor at professional cycling. Like in France, I only earned 50 euro a week, which is just enough to cover food. And, you know, I went to America and Canada and earned a little bit more, but I never earned enough to cover my food, living expenses and my law school loans that were about to kick in. So I, about 2011, I needed to figure out 2011, 2012, I needed to figure out a way with an internet connection and working remotely to generate some extra cash if I wanted to keep this cycling dream of being a professional alive. So I started charging for cycling advice and coaching and mentorship. And that's where the coaching company was born. But I had an interesting pivot around 2016, I would say. I was up to that point coaching aspiring professional athletes, young kids who are on the way up. And from a business point of view, there's a problem with that because you're trying to sell a service to people who have no money. So it's always going to be difficult. But it was a friend of mine. He was an expat in Qatar and he's from Tipperary and he played GEA back in the day, but he was 45 years old at that point or maybe 50 years old. 
He was carrying a lot of excess weight. He described himself as a social drinker. Any non-Irish listener would probably describe him as an alcoholic. He was <laughs> he was drinking four or five times a week. And- I, I have to defend your friend there. I think that's that's, that's slanderous. <laughs> about a certain generation but yes I take your point so he's drinking four or five times a week he's eating bad food that he doesn't know is bad food but he's getting into cycling and he convinced me he said can you do all that stuff you're doing with the kids and the pros can you try that on me and see what happens and I was like oh, like you'll die This like you can't do this stuff it's not for you know men in middle age this is for elite athletes and he's like come on come on just try it so anyway long story short I tried it on him and it was an amazing result because these professional cyclists are aspiring professionals. You're doing everything and you're tweaking performance and you're getting maybe a 1% performance improvement. But this new demographic of 40 plus year olds, typically males, when you start putting the nutrition pieces, the strength and conditioning pieces, the lifestyle changes around sleep and you know habits around mitigating blue lights and using cold therapy and strategies like this, when you put this onto that demographic, they've never had experience exposure to this or their body has slipped so far that they don't make a 1% gain in a year. They make a 40% gain in a year. And that's when I just thought, oh my God, I never seen this coaching as a career because I thought, you know, it's a stock gap until I go back to law. But it was just when I started seeing, I'm actually making an impact on people's lives here. And that one friend, you know, he went on to get promotions, met his new wife, his confidence was back. And, you know, he was even confiding to me and he'd kill me for saying, look, I'm back having sex and I haven't had sex properly in years. It was properly life-changing for him. And I just got such a kick out of that. And that was the new direction I wanted to go with the company where, as corny as it sounds, trying to be a small little part in somebody's narrative, trying to be that fork in the road for them. That's a huge... Um, what's the word they're going to use? That's a fabulous place to be because there's complete trust, obviously, that comes into that relationship. And then you're, and it's not just about physicality. There's the, the mentals there, there the emotions, uh, someone's soul. Because if you're if you're in that space, you're stuck. Uh, and so, what's the you know when you're when you're with somebody, sometimes you got to push, sometimes carrot and stick. Everybody works slightly differently. What's your styles? Are you read somebody? Yeah, but do you remember back when you were like 18, 19, you'd look at people that were 40 years plus and you just think they have it all figured out. And uh, They have a house, they have a car, they have a family, they have it all figured out. And I think we're in an age back then when I was 18 and you were 18 where the people who were 45 years plus, they didn't talk about it if they were unhappy. They just got on with it and they rarely made lifestyle changes. They were on a path and they just sort of stayed on that same track for better or worse until, you know, the end of their days. But I I think people have started talking more openly about mental health and about not being happy and had a willingness to change in the last 10 years. And so I think that awakening really made possible what I do, because if I tried to do what I'm doing 10, 15 years before I started, I think there'd be too much reluctance to change. There'd be too much shame associated with starting again. And I think start again is such a beautiful concept. And I've tried to, last few years, I've got into meditating more. And this idea of start again, I tell myself so many times, you know, I could have a day where I wake up and I'm just not on it in the morning and I can't get going. I've 
just scrolled on social media. I've had some bad phone calls and it's one o'clock. You don't have to write the whole day off. Just because it's one o'clock doesn't mean from one o'clock until bedtime can't be the best day of your life if you just have this willingness to start again. And we see it in sport all the time. I could be two hours into a three-hour session and it's been the worst two-hour ride I've ever had. You know, I've crashed, I've had mechanicals. There's nothing to say that the last hour can't be the best hour I've ever had. So what happens in the head to make that happen? Because it's a head thing, I presume. Yeah, it's a head thing. I think it's an awareness for me that some stuff has happened out of my control and I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'm going to move forward. But it's it's understanding that... I suppose it, it's it's this field of consciousness and understanding that stuff is happening all the time inside this field of consciousness, whether it's sounds, whether it's you know crashes, whether it's emotions, they're all on the field of consciousness and we're all we're in control of all those. And we can just draw a hard line in the sand and say, boom, right now it stops and it changes. And so, I, so I don't need to invest in that two minutes, hour, two hours of stuff. That's just discommoded me. I can let go of it, and now it's fresh. Is yeah, that- it needs to be a, a willing stop, calm yourself down, understand what it is that has been causing that hardship, but you don't need to carry it forward. It's gone. As soon as it happens, it is gone, and you do have that power to not hold on to it. It's a choice you're making to keep holding on to it. Like the car that cuts me up down the road, it's you know a uniquely cycling problem, and with this us versus them with cars and cyclists, you know, the car that gives the close pass and then flicks you the board out the window and shouts at you, you can hold on to that anger for the next three hours on the ride and let it suck away at you. But the car is gone. You can draw a hard line in the sand and choose to let go of that emotion and move forward and enjoy the rest of your day. But to learn how to do that, that's the gift. It's, 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 and, and I'm thinking, say, some younger people who are a bit stuck and what am I doing? The world's closed down. I can't do my college and my exam and I'm frustrated. My life's been taken away. It's just, it's it, any, any tips how they process that and then keep processing to get that, to get that technique. Yeah, you know, and casting back my mind to when I used to study, it would have been a super important skill to have then because you could have had a allocated a six hour study block for yourself. And four hours into the study block, it's going really bad and you've taken nothing in. But you can draw a hard line there and make the two, next two hours the best two hours you've ever had. A very valuable tool I've been using is meditation. And guided meditation is a great way to get started with that. And there's an app I'd recommend people to listen to. I think there's a free trial on it. The name of the app is Waking Up by Sam Harris. And it's a great way to start understanding your your mind because everything is you know it sounds very hippy dippy woo hoo and it's uh, almost difficult to say coming from North Dublin but you know our, our mind is how we ex- we frame up every experience good or bad and our mind is how we're doing that you know the idea that you know you've saved a lot of money in your bank account that's only a good thing because your mind is telling you it's a good thing you know every experience we have a sunny day we're framing as good we're framing bad weather as a bad day we get to choose if that's a good day or a bad day we get to choose our reactions all the time i have a friend who's visually impaired and i learned this lesson from him a lot and you know i've been friends with him for a number of years and there was one day where he really just cemented this idea of we get to choose our reaction to stuff into my head. And we were in Spar getting a coffee, real glamorous Northside stuff there, getting your coffee in Spar. 
and we were at the counter and he had one of these, you know, these polystyrene cups and he put it on the counter. Now he's almost completely visually impaired, but he can see shadows and things like that. So he got the coffee cup and he put it on the counter and he put it on top of, you know, these credit card machines they have for tapping. So it obviously was unbalanced and tipped over and spilt all over the counter. And he was like, he probably mortified. He never said but it's built all over the counter and, you know, he apologized and the girl cleaned up and he got another coffee and, you know, I just didn't know how to react. So I just left it and, you know, paid for my coffee and I was chatting to him about an hour later and I was like, you know, is that real difficult being visually impaired and you drop the coffee on the counter and it must be so frustrating. And his response was brilliant and it stuck with me for a long time. He's like, have you ever spilled a coffee? I said, yeah, I have spilled coffee. And he's like, why did you spill a coffee? And I was like, I don't know, uh, maybe inattentiveness. I put it on the edge of a table and it should have tipped over. And he's like, inattentiveness. He's like, that's how I spilt the coffee, inattentiveness. I've been visually impaired for long enough that I know if I'm going to put something down on a counter, I need to use my left hand to clear the counter, make sure the space is flat. Then I put the coffee down. So I didn't spill the coffee because I'm visually impaired. I spilled the coffee because I was inattentive. And he said, I get to choose every every action I take, I get to choose whether I attribute that to my visual impairment or I get to choose whether I attribute that to something else that's, you know, a trait associated with someone with full sight, like inattentiveness. And I just thought it's such a brilliant concept. And I've taken that concept to try and do the exact same thing where I get to attribute my meaning to stuff. Wow. That's very, very simple, very powerful. Yeah, you learn some great lessons off, you know, I've, he's a he's a good friend now. So I've learned some brilliant lessons, travels abroad across Bali and stuff with him and really learned lessons around, you know, mm. restrictions that people put on uh, people with disabilities. And, you know, most of them are imagined. Yeah, we have a, a wonderful guest, Colin Judge, who's hopefully on his way to the Paralympics in Tokyo. He's a table tennis player. Brilliant. And uh, he'll be coming live on the show tomorrow, uh, 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 Wednesday. And uh, his, 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 uh, he's quite a remarkable, uh, remarkable person. He's an actuary. He's 25. And uh, he was one off Rio. And he's back again. And now hopefully he's one off, but he'll go to a qualifying tournament in Slovenia. But so he, he, Colin has one left arm, no right arm and no legs. So that's his his ability or as he would call it or disability uh, but you get on with it and then you work around uh, 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 stuff in that sense but I, I love that thing about the coffee nobody does it uh, uh, purposefully it just happens yeah and you know, I was on the same track with my buddy's name is Peter Ryan and I was actually riding the tandem bicycle with him for the last two years with the goal to qualify for Tokyo as well. But because Tokyo got postponed, we've decided to step away and not do the extra year. Uh, but rode the world championships last year on the track, on the tandem and stuff. And yeah, brilliant to do it with a friend on a tandem because cycling is such a solo sport and lonely sport a lot of the time. And the tandem, I suppose, so I'm in mid thirties now and it's probably the end or coming close to the end of my international appearances for Ireland. But to do it one last time with an Irish jersey on my back, one of my good friends on the back of the bike was a really special feeling. Well, maybe when the vets come along, you can rekindle that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's not well. It's it does. There's 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 a a a a, a age group for everybody. So it, it, it as I said, what you're doing, how you keep feet. But coming back to your clients, and and I think it's a great uh, you know in 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 in. Um, 
your the 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 company uh, roadman is it like we'll improve your sex life is that the is that the the, the tagline but i think th- whoever's listening to this i tell you you'll get an uptake in business and that'll be males and females and probably males because they're, 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 they're so that could be a good tagline but tell me tell me how that's where that's now and and how you operate and 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 how people contact you you know i i think the how we operate is it's been nearly an extension of a personal vision I've had for myself in the last few years. And as I'm experimenting with stuff and finding, you know, practices useful, I'm incorporating them into stuff we recommend to clients. And increasingly over the last few years, I'm not sure if you've read much Stoic philosophy. I, I actually have. I, 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 look, I have a friend of mine sends a little bit every day. Very and, nice. And, and we have a Friday thought, which we send out to our our, our, our audience, well, our, our, our clients in Bermuda. Uh, right. Yeah, so for the for the listeners to briefly summarize, and uh, James, I'll probably butcherize the definition, but Stoic philosophy is this idea that we're dividing things into two categories, stuff that we can control and stuff that we can't control, and then building daily habits and rituals around the things we can control. So that's very much at the center of what we do with Roadman Cycling. And the website's just roadmancycling.com, and people can check it out, and the links to the podcast and stuff there. Uh, that's the plug out of the way. Uh but it's that stoic idea of focusing on what we control is very central to it. So we try and build morning routines for clients because I spent a lot of time studying top performers, whether it's sports people, business people, actors, playwrights, literary. And this idea of morning routines is very, very valuable. And the day throws us in thousands of different directions. And a lot of time, they're not directions of our choosing, but the morning is a special time where we get to create momentum first thing in the morning, but we also get to, we get to live our agenda and we can set ourselves up for you know, success for the rest of the day. And Tony Robbins, a guy I got to hear uh, speaking a couple of years ago, and he was speaking about uh, cold therapy first thing in the morning. And his first thing he does every morning is get up and get into an ice cold plunge pill. And he said he's done this for the last 25 years every single morning. But he said every single morning that he's about to get into the cold plunge pill, he has this schizophrenic dialogue with himself where his head will start saying, no, maybe you shouldn't do it today. Maybe it's not a good day to do it today and start coming up with excuses. You've got a little bit of sniffles today. And then as soon as he hears this dialogue starting to kick in, he takes back control and he's like, I give the orders. I give the orders. I tell you we're getting into the cold water. We get into the cold water. But why this is so powerful is cold water, you know, is a different conversation. It's very powerful in its own right. But this idea of dominating your thoughts and creating momentum for the rest of the day because you've swallowed the frog first thing in the morning, you've done something difficult and you've created a positive momentum. Navy SEALs like Jocko Willick that's, you know, wrote a great book on uh, life and combat and lessons we can learn from that. He has this idea as well of making your bed first thing in the morning because you're accomplishing something first thing, you're ticking it off your to-do list. And no matter how shit your day turns out, you come back to something you've accomplished. So it's a positive way to bookend your day. But we build morning routines a lot for our clients and I find them super, super powerful. Have you ever tried them? Uh, Going for a a, a cold bath? Well, just even the idea Uh, of a morning routine. Yes, sorry. uh, Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, Now during COVID, I'm working, walking a marathon a week, but I train I try to get out in the morning to uh, first thing, uh, and and maybe get some personal reading in that I don't get because I'm working with American artists now, 
So, but that does set me up fresh air, oxygen. I'll probably meet appropriately social distance people walking around uh, and have a little gas, little chat. I love that. I like that little energy, a little hit energy. And most people now, it's funny, I would have found some people, and I, I, I don't want to dis- disrespect anyone, um, who they were too busy to talk to you maybe a year and a half ago. Now they realize that that five minutes is a good investment. They may or may not get something from me, and not that they're looking for something, but just energy. There's energy transfer from both of us. And your little five-minute chats, how are you doing? How the, you know, lovely day, beautiful water. I'm lucky I live beside the sea. And um, so, yeah, that that's very important for me, you know, particularly around my own mentals. And you're taking so many of the boxes there. I'm not sure if you've, or your listeners have heard this idea of blue zones. There are areas in the world that have the highest concentration of centurions. So these are people that live beyond the age of 100 years. And there's huge studies carried out on these areas of what are the commonalities like what lessons can we learn from these centurions that can help us live a little bit longer where you're ticking so many of those boxes straight away. It's exercise first thing in the morning. It's vitamin D from the sun. It's social connection from chatting to people. And these are some of the common threads of people that we see living very happy, healthy lives long beyond a hundred. Yeah, no, that, that's, 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 but, but to me, I don't know. It's, it's intuitive on one level. Maybe I've always grown up running around, running after something whether it be a, a ball up in St. Saint, Saint Anne's Park or Fairview Park, uh, which great funds are out in, out in Darndale or out further again, which was always great fun. Now you had to move, you had to move fairly quickly when you left the game. Um, but I won't, I better, I get into trouble now if I say, <laughs> if I, if I say any more. Uh, no, but I think that's, I think that's so, so any clients going to you and, and your clients are from 20 year, 20 year old right up to, you know, I, yeah, they're from 20 all the way up, but I'd say increasingly over the last few years, we're seeing kind of 35 upwards. And when I say upwards, like our oldest client, I think is in his mid eighties at the moment. And honestly, like he'd put me through his paces if we went out for a four hour bike ride, very, very strong guys. And, you know, all sort of socioeconomic backgrounds as well. And I think that's where cycling is great. And it's pulling together, you know, people from, you know, the 1% of our society and working class all riding together in a bunch. And it's great to see. I guess networking, what's your thoughts? What what do you know about networking? What do you think about networking? Like you've set up a business which connections are impor- not important, there, but they're, they're the shared connections of, of people recycling stories and, the old-fashioned way of word of mouth. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm conflicted on um, the idea of networking. On the one hand, I don't like these type of networking events and, you know, breakfast mornings and stuff. It just feels so contrived. And even I've wrestled with this one. I've been away on cycling uh, trips where a friend of mine has had a free trip and he said, well, come away because it'll be great for you to meet some of these people. It could be the Dublin Chamber of Commerce or something going away. And I'm kind of going away and I'm almost at one point a little bit uneasy because it's I'm looking for something from that relationship. And I I don't think it's a nice place to start a, a relationship. And none of the meaningful relationships in my life have started from a place where I'm looking, I'm giving with a, you know, a hope to get back. They've all started from a place of more purity where we had a common interest or I'm given without an anticipation of receiving. And I haven't had, I don't have any meaningful relationships in my life that started from those sort of contrived network settings. 
but having said that, I've been slightly lucky with cycling in the last few years because you know cycling's been dubbed the new golf in the last few years, and increasingly there's been a demographic getting into cycling that maybe previously would have been going to these networking style events, as events and lunches and things like that. And I've been lucky enough to get to know some amazing people through the bike. But that love of cycling, the love of outdoors, adventure, that's what connected us. Not this, you know, not a selfish need to try and say, oh, what can he do for me or what can I do for him? No, and I agree, which I think any, well, my own philosophy is it's unconditional. You go, if I go somewhere, I go just, I don't mind who I meet. It could be the waiter. And in, in fact, sometimes waiters are very interesting because they'll actually tell you what's really going on <laughs> in, 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 in the room. Now, I'm conscious of, of, of your time, Anthony. You've been so no, no, generous. Yeah, I've, I've as much time as you need. We can um, go full Joe Rogan four hours here if you want. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I might need a glass of wine, which <laughs> might be the wrong time to have it at 12. It's actually after 12, but no, in, in a joke sense. Mentors for you going through your life, whether you knew there are mentors or not, when you look back. And you're kind of a mentor now in the role you'd use. I, I use that, in effect, being that coach. Just kind of mentor, come, coach, come, guru, yeah. come. Yeah, it's a good question. And it's it's not one I've uh, I've thought about. And I like this idea of, uh, I think it's a, a Buddhist idea that people come into your life for a reason, for a season, or for a lifetime. And I've definitely had various people in my life who I'm not close to anymore but they'll still have a very special place in sort of molding me or i credit them a lot they might even know i credit them so much with turning points in my life and you know be it football managers where you know at 16 17 when you're trying to make it as a footballer you're you know you don't have you don't have an eye on anything else well at least i didn't i was brainwashed largely by you know, you have a you have a soccer manager who's telling you you're brilliant. You're going to England. You have the school manager who's telling you you're brilliant. You've uh, representative managers for Dublin teams who are telling you you're brilliant. There's no real person in that saying, "Oh, there's a chance you might make it here." And so my dad was brilliant in grounding me all through that. And obviously, for you know most people, uh, their father is such a an important figure in their life, but definitely a hugely important figure in shape and me as an athlete and pushing me a little bit towards academia without ever being, you know, in a pressurized sense, you know, no one in my side of the family, my dad's, you know, dropped out of school. My mom finished her leaving cert, but didn't go to college. So there was no history of academia in my family. So even going on to toward level education was a big deal for my folks. And, you know, our graduation was an important day for them. And then, maybe that's what sort of kept me alluded at the start that I was seven years in uh, university. Maybe it was that constantly striving for that parental approval where I was looking, okay, I can do the degree. Now I can get the master's. Now I can get the professional qualification. So definitely father of those early sporting years and uh, both parents, uh, football managers through the years were massively uh, important to me. Uh, I've had cycling teammates and then as I, we have a mutual friend, even we were speaking about off air before, uh, Deck Ryan, you've had in the podcast has been brilliant in business stuff and pointing me in the right direction in the last uh, few years. But yeah, circling back to that, uh, people for a reason, a season or a lifetime, I think it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice expression and it's a nice to, 
to know that you don't have to hold on to those relationships, that someone came into your life to steer you at a time in your life when you needed steering and you don't have to feel bad about letting that relationship, you know, atrophy or die that it served its purpose and we're both happy to move on. We'll meet at some point down the road. I'm sure I'll meet, you know, great teachers in St. Paul's, uh, one of them, Fergus Ryan, who was brilliant and got me into cycling and, you know, I don't see him as much and we're not as close as we were at times, but, you know, I'll see him for a point or I'll see him. I'd be like, we never, uh, you know, we never lost touch, but, yeah, I suppose it's just it's that combination of of all of them rather than it being one standout person. It's people have come along and kind of served their purpose and then moved on. I, I like your concept of uh, relationships are there that they have maybe achieved what they were supposed to achieve, and then they maybe move off. And maybe in, if they move off the right way, that maybe in the future they re, re, they will rekindle. And that would, that would be my own philosophy and it it, it it takes all the emotiveness or that potential hurt when this when someone moves away and it for whatever reason it may not have worked as 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 someone thought it would be but it's really to to accept that and then move it on and maybe back to you, your other philosophy around you know you get up in the morning it might have been a great start to the day move on yeah like people get so busy when you get older like when you're in your late teens you're in your 20s you can call up like i remember we used to play a five aside every thursday night i'd have 50 people in my phone book that i could have called to say do you want to play a five aside tonight i tell you i would struggle to organize a two aside at the moment (laughs) you know everybody is so busy with their own things and it's not a reflection of your relationship with them it's other stuff in their life you know demands their attention because we're all in different phases as we journey through and some people are on exceptionally stressful periods in work where they need to get something across the line. And just because they need something to get something across the line doesn't mean I'm any less important in their life or they're at an important juncture of a relationship or family. And, you know, I think good friends, like you were saying, you can always revert back to them. If you leave those relationships, you know, from a place of love rather than a place of resentment. I understand. So to close out last question, Five words to describe your journey so far. I mean, you're you're young. You're kind of midish thirties. So, over the last what would five words? Two, three words. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. You're hitting the good questions today. You do a lot more research for your podcast than I do. The good questions. I'm just kind of winging it on mine. Uh, the journey's definitely not straight. And I, is that a word? Not straight. Not, it's, not, it's a hyphen. <laughs> well, we, but we, I, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable. I did pass English, so that works for me. <laughs> Uh, it, it's definitely not straight for me. It's this idea of you start at a destination, you start at a beginning and you finish at a destination. And it's a linear journey along the way. It's been just such bullshit for me that it's, you start with a destination in mind and you go up a little bit and then you take four steps back and then you come back up and you plateau for a bit and then you have a massive period of acceleration. And cycling's been like that for me where I've had periods where I've really progressed, periods where I've stagnated, periods where I've gone backwards. But I've kept kind of stumbling forward with it. And I think when I started, you know, thinking about business and thinking about where I wanted my life to go, I kind of had a vision for how I wanted my life to turn out. I had a vision of how I wanted to spend my days. And I started very much with the finish line in mind. I want to get up in the, like just before this podcast, you know, I was down on the beach walking the dogs and had a coffee, come back to a podcast I'll have breakfast now, a late breakfast with my girlfriend. And 
you know, I'll go ride my bike after, I'll do a little bit of work, read this evening. And that's kind of the vision I had for my life. So I've tried to step into that vision. I'm not giving you five words here at all. I'm too long-winded. But, no, but step into, the, step into the vision is really important for anyone listening because it, it's within everybody's uh, gift. Anyone can do this. That, that's the bit that, that's part of this podcast. Anyone can borrow or listen to someone's journey and say, maybe I can do that. And they can. And, and words are very and trigger words are very important around that. I think when you have that vision at the end of what you want your day to be like, because your days become your weeks and your weeks become your life. So if you have that vision of what you want your day to be like, what you want your week to be like, you can start making decisions and it becomes very binary. You can say, okay, well, taking this job, taking this loan for a new car, this doesn't get me closer to this vision I have for myself because my vision's walking on the beach with my girlfriend and the dog. And what you need around that is it's free time. It's not a lot of cash. So at points in the journey then, I found that having that vision, it clarifies my decision-making because I don't chase after things that I don't need. I don't feel the need to you know buy the latest 2001 car because it's not really aligned with my vision. And actually, it's the opposite to my vision because what I need to get that car is money. So I'm going to need to spend more time generating cash, taking loan repayments, and it's getting me further away from this vision. So at every point along the way, it's having that sort of binary lens on it where you say, is this action aligned with my vision or is it going to hamper me getting towards that vision? And that's worked really, really well for me. And I think the vision can change as well, but it's definitely changed for me from when I was 18 and wanted to be a professional footballer to when I was 25 and wanted to be a professional cyclist to, you know, now when I don't know what I want to be. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, that's great. So vision, vision really is the word that encompasses sits above the five words, have a vision and then get to the line and look back and figure out how to get to that line. Yeah, and I think it leaves clues as well along the way. Like if you look at somebody whose life you really like, and that's where I'd, I'd looked around at friends, looked around at people who are super successful in business and sport, and figured out well, whose life is just absolutely amazing. Heller, Helen Keller has this quote, life is a daring adventure, nothing at all. And I was like, who has this amazing life that's just a daring adventure? They get to do whatever they want, when they want. And I'm like, it's a combination of different people for me. And so I actually wrote it down and I have a little vision board and I wrote down exactly what the day looks like, who I'm surrounded with. And then success leaves clues. You can look at those people and you go, well, how did they get there? And now let's build it backwards. Let's reverse engineer the process of getting there. And let's just step through that little blueprint we've made for ourselves to get there. That's a fascinating end and very, very simple on one level, but quite complex. Uh, but for someone to think about that and, and to the, 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 that footprint of how someone might embrace uh, that part of, of, of their life. Um, fascinating. Anthony, I, I think um, you've been fabulous today. I've really enjoyed how you've shared inter, inter your journey, uh, which has been from, from professional footballer, semi-pro, uh, professional footballer to... Uh, top of what you could be as an international cyclist to now uh, to to be uh, nearly wearing a wig in in, in the four courts uh, 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 down there and making probably the right call I get into trouble for this uh, <laughs> a, a more interesting call maybe and obviously what you're doing now which you're living and you are supporting people and helping them maybe 
enjoy enjoy their living, enjoy their day a little bit more. I'm, I'm probably murdering that last line, but that's my sense for what you do uh, with your clients. Yeah, I think that's a you know a fair representation of it, and I just try and instill in my clients the stuff that I'm finding useful. And you know, I, I love to read, and you know, I'm, I'm doing another course at the moment, so I'm not getting to read as much as I like. But when I do read something or I watch something, I try and apply it into my own life and out for works. I'm kind of using myself as my one-man beta group, and then I'll say to the clients, you know what, actually. I've tried this and it's working super well. It's giving me more energy. It's bringing me a little bit more happiness. Let's try and incorporate this and I'll, you know, build it out into a smaller beta group and then we'll roll it out across all of our clients. But it's very much a game of trial and error and trying to figure it out. But that idea of success leaving clues is very important because there is people further down the line who figured out what you're trying to figure out right now. And you don't have to make all the mistakes. You don't have to run down a blind alley for 12 months and, figure out that startup is not for me. You can talk to people who have lived the startup life and you can figure out their experiences and you can go, you know what, that experience isn't for me and let other people's mistakes, what's that, uh, learn. There's a great quote to finish on. It's something like, uh, it's important to learn from mistakes, but they don't have to be your mistakes. I love that. On that, uh, Anthony, uh, thanks so much for coming on board to talk to, to our audience on the Career Scoop. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you and we can we can have a, a cup of tea and uh, maybe continue this conversation offline. So I think we have a lot to talk about. Jez, thank you very much for having me. I look forward to maybe getting something a bit stronger and a cup of tea with yourself. You're very welcome. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you for listening to The Career Scoop brought to you by Elevate Career Advice and Elevate Executive Selection, Dublin and Bermuda. I'm James Fitzsimons and I hope you enjoyed listening. Join us next week for more episodes of The Career School. Hope to see you there. Bye.